Where is that energy bill? Meet Carl. Ah, what? Carl is on all fours, peering under his couch with a magnifying glass. Who's there? Carl's energy bill has shrunk to the size of a peanut. He took advantage of rebates on energy-efficient upgrades from Puget Sound Energy. Wow. How'd you know that? If you're a PSE customer, you can save hundreds, even thousands, on energy-efficient upgrades at pse.com slash rebates. There it is. Ah, nope, dust bunny. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. You're listening to Society Bites Radio, and I'm your host, Dr. Richard Himmer. And I'm Sherry Himmer, and this is Authentically You, social interaction for the mind and soul. For the next 25 minutes, we talk about healing and growth from the inside out. Remember, you are 100% responsible for your happiness, joy, and well-being. So last segment, we started with Buck, and we are taking Buck as an example that we use in our course for the one-day solution to toxic relationships in in the workplace. And we're unzipping Buck's story. And we developed his situation last time where he got promoted. Um, he's not one of the other guys or gals in the office anymore. But he was promoted for the wrong reasons. He was promoted because he's a good engineer. And now he's got these three challenges, which is that He's wielding a heavy hand because that's what he believes he needs to do now to get results. He also thinks that he knows better now that because he has a new title, but he's also lost his connections with his workmates and that's creating a deficit for him. And that's where we've left Buck. And this is giving us an empathetic view into what's called the accidental bully, how a culture creates, takes a normal person and turns them into a bully. So I want to uh, take a section out of my dissertation and, and talk about the profile of a bully. The stereotype of a bully is that of a tough and dynamic manager who gets the job done. This type of thinking is changing as the consequences of bullying emerge. And what that means is there is more and more research. It actually started out of Scandinavia, went into Great Britain. We are the last ones, meaning the United States of America, are the last ones to address workplace bullying by research. We're also... Uh, it's not against the law to be a bully. A, a it's bully. allowed. Yeah. It's legal to be a bully. It's legal to be a bully, although we are now finding that there's a huge cost. In one of the papers that I wrote, I actually itemized the cost of bully behavior in an organization. Um, if CFOs actually took the time to research the cost of having a toxic personality in their organization, they'd fire everyone on the spot. It would be cheaper and more productive to fire them wholesale and and bring in all new people starting from scratch Mm -hmm. because the cost is so monumental. There's a difference between being tough and demanding and being a bully. Bullies, let me explain why. Remember the paradoxes we talked about, Mm -hmm. tough versus love? It's okay to be tough. Your dad was beautiful at being tough, but he knew when to, to, to show the connectivity, the emotions for the most part, at least for you. For the most you. part. And, yeah. and, and it wasn't I, I'm just using it for you, right? Yeah. But in, in cases like this, it's okay to be a hard nose. But if the hard nose does it without empathy, sarcastically, 
critically, judgmentally. Or openness. Then, then it's then it, there's no good. It's just only a singular skill set and yeah. not balanced by the paradoxical skill set of the other side. Bullies bully to hide inadequacies and incompetencies. I want to say that again. Yeah. Because if you are dealing with a bully, you need to know they're bullying out of fear. And that's why I was talking about here's Buck's new position. He was fine before, but now there's this huge pressure on him and he's feeling that sense of inadequacy. And they're jerks because they're not connecting and they're collusionary. They're getting exactly what they don't want, but they don't know how to do it differently. And here's the danger. Someone like Buck comes into this position and he starts to use a different skill set for the sake of productivity and efficiency and effectiveness. And it's not effective, but he thinks it is. And so then it can become routine, habituated, and even an addiction. Right. As, um, but it's not so much a skill set at first, it's a tactic. Yeah. It becomes a skill set, but skill set meaning that they're good at doing something bad. Yeah. Skill set, I don't mean as and then that's good as just, yeah, I just wanted to clarify that. It's a, it's a way, it's a way to solve the that's situation. That, that's that upper level thinking that we were talking about earlier. Right? The decoupling. The, yeah. That was a high decoupling moment. <laughs> yes, we will cover this at some point in time. <laughs> we, we're going to break apart our own communication. Yeah, we've got idiosyncrasies, a, which we call de, high decoupling and low decoupling or contextualism. But um, right. We'll get into that. Sorry to <laughs> sidetrack here, but we were supposed to, we were going to do a show on this one, but we will do a show on this. There's so much to it. We want to be able to make sense of it when we do it. Okay, so basically bullies are in practice closet cowards. They are highly envious, jealous, and insecure. They have low team spirit or team skills, and they use their behaviors to compensate for lack of technical and or social skills. I cannot emphasize this enough. If you think you're a hard nose and that you're cool because you're a hard nose and management likes you, just look in the mirror and realize you're a coward, you're afraid of your own shadow, you're incompetent in your social skills and you're not connecting. So you have to be a hard nose so you can medicate. When they give you resistance back, you can say, see, this is the kind of people they really are without understanding that you initiated this. So you're playing the role of a victim, but what you really did is you started out as a persecutor so you could play the role of a victim and then medicate. You're a drug addict for crying out loud when you're acting this way. And if you don't know that, you're unconsciously incompetent. The goal is to get at least to the consciously incompetent and go, oh, I didn't realize I was doing that because the numbers don't support it. They do temporarily. You can threaten people and get an immediate reaction, but the reality is it doesn't sustain you long term. For decades, it was believed that bullies at school were the self-confident, charismatic kids. Assuming you were a target of a bully in grade school, I fast, how would you qualify your bully? Is the bully bigger than you? Yes. Stronger than you? Yes. Have more friends than you? Yes. Better looking or more talented than you? Sometimes. The probability is that yes is your answer to each question paints the bully in a very jaded light. These same kids grow up to be adult bullies, and the reality is that they couldn't create healthy relationships as a kid, and nothing changed with the reality is that they couldn't... Um, With the advent of the, uh, let me go back. These same kids grew up to be adult bullies. And the reality is that they couldn't create healthy relationships as a kid and nothing changed with the advent of adulthood. And that's important to understand because of the way, what happened to them as a child. They're put into a situation that they habituate. And the other thing here that I don't bring out 
is that people, adults, when people become adults as bullies, reverse that, bullies as adults, they could have been bullied as a kid. Yeah. It's one of the two. So what happens is they're a family of origin, put them in a position of being a target. They rebelled against being a target and they moved on to be a bully. Or their family of origin introduced the, the culture of being a bully and they just perpetuated it all through their into adulthood. What you experienced as a kid was a positional difference of power. The bigger kids have more power. The ones with friends have more power. The older kids have more power. Looks are often associated with popularity, friends, and influence, and therefore power. If you know, there's nothing you can do about being big and strong, or being good looking, or perceived good looking, or being small and scrawny being and like weak, or a nerd. Beautiful people versus the rest of us. Yeah. So that you know, that's hereditary. And what I'm always intrigued with is people who are naturally given, you know, um, what's considered a good looking body or a good looking face. Somehow, that's all they know themselves as. Their identity is associated with their visual looks. Um, I've got a, a client right now, or I know of someone who, young girl, looks older than she is, but all she knows the world as is that her identity is being beautiful, but she doesn't know who she right. is. And that is very challenging for her teenagers. Her life's going to be miserable. When all they've put out there in the world is that, oh, you're so pretty, or you're so good looking, or you're so handsome. So moms and dads, here's a, another thing. If you're telling your kids they're cute all the time or they're smart and that's all they have, but they're not getting any of the three A's upon earned accomplishments or, um, or effort, mm -hmm. you're going to set them up for failure. They could be either a target or a bully if you're not careful. Please re realize that when you compliment your children, when you give your children feedback, it's on two criteria only, something they accomplished and their effort. So they might have got a C. But if their effort was monumental, it's praiseworthy. You praise the effort. That's the first criteria. The accomplishment needs to be recognized if it's earned, not if it just happens. So if you, you praise your, your kid who gets an A on his calculus test but didn't study, you're praising something he didn't do. He just came that way. All right. So I throw that, throw that up. Okay. The bigger kids. Oh, we talked about that. Mm-hmm. As mentioned, bully environments typically happen because of an imbalance of power. Buck was now carrying the power. Researchers have found three general bully profiles based on motivation, tactics, responses to challenge, and the situation. We talked about them earlier, so we're only going to talk about the accidental bully. Again, the other two are narcissistic bully and psychopathic bully, by the way. If you run into a narcissistic bully or a psychopathic bully, there's no out. hope, is there? Get out. Yeah. To to my knowledge, go get a different job if that's you've your boss. Got it. Yeah. And usually you need to get a different job anyway, because the accidental bully, if the culture doesn't support that person changing, there's nothing you're going to do. And as soon as you walk out the door, that person will find someone else to target. And if you're not careful, if you don't understand these rules, you're going to move into the new position and you'll become the new target. It's not your fault per se, but it's your responsibility to stop being a target. But that's a different segment. Buck was sliding into the profile of an accidental bully and his fast rise to power blinded his ability to see the reality that he was losing his true identity to a false narrative. Finding himself hobnobbing with other middle managers and getting an occasional attaboy from a member of the C-suite played havoc with his psyche. So he became lost in space. 
the space between his cognitive sense of reality and the overdrawn bank account on his values and morals. The cognitive distortions from the rapid rise left him oxygen-deprived, and his behavior was out of character with the real buck. Now, here's something that I've noticed. People who live this way are actually living outside their value structure. It's a cognitive distortion. But if they've done it so often, they've become norm to it, that their brain becomes, their cognitive becomes the apologist for the subconscious saboteur. Sure, they're going to find ways to justify their right. bad behaviors. So if you want to understand if you're doing this or you want to see if someone else is doing it, listen to their words. If there's a cognitive distortion with a constant justification or rationalization that the end justifies the means, you've got someone whose values have become normed to being compromised. So their conscious has been seared and they're no longer operating off their value structure. There's no authenticity in that person. He knew better than to treat others so poorly. Notice the cognitive distortion here. But he was torn out of fear mm -hmm. that he would not be accepted into the management core and his strong desire to connect with his old friends was being compromised. I got to fix that right there. Fix. He was seeking outside affirmation for a value that is internally located and harnessed. Outside in versus inside right. out. Accidental bullies lack self-awareness and empathy. They typically overreact to pressure and lack emotional self-control. They lose sight of the humanity of others and frequently use aggression as a means to an end. Employee welfare is secondary to a task <clears throat> or company goal, and they feel that their behavior should be excused or overlooked, as this is business, so don't take it personally. This type of bully is usually amenable to intervention and is often shocked when they learn the consequences of their behavior. So two points, shocked, and they don't take it personally. One, don't take it personal is hogwash. It is personal for crying out loud. When you treat someone like an object, you just remove their humanity. Right. It's very personal. And to say, tell someone don't take it personal, it's just business, means that you just objectified them, objectified yourself, loss of self-respect, and you're using something to hide behind, like the Nazis. It's identical. Don't think yourself any better than a Nazi would if you're killing the Jews because you're hiding behind this is just business. It's not just business. It's you. Okay, I'm going to go off on a soapbox. I really feel like I need a drug right okay. now. This, I, this idea that um, we're, we're saving the world from the coronavirus, um, the cure is going to cost us more lives or the treatment. The treatment is going to cost us more lives than the actual COVID. The supply chains have been interrupted. According to some researchers, it's going to kill over 125,000, or sorry, 200,000 more people because 125 million children are going on to starvations. Okay, now just think for a second. I'm not saying that what we're doing is wrong or right. I'm saying we're not looking at all the data. We're hiding behind a singular set of scientists who are saying that we need to shut down businesses. But what are you doing to the businesses? Why are we shutting them down? Because we don't want people to die. Okay. But we're going to lose as many people to starvation as those who will die from the COVID. So tell me what – why are we measuring this one over this one? Despite the fact that we've now got increased psychological damage going on, to lose a job is worse than losing a loved one to death. So we've now have people who are unemployed, 
Suicides are skyrocketing. Divorce is skyrocketing. Domestic abuse is skyrocketing. We are hiding behind a singular thing at the expense of humanity. We literally have objectified the businesses, the small business owners, and humanity by, by being so draconian in our approach. There isn't enough um, decision-making processes here to make this whole as I'm looking at it. And I'm not trying to be critical of any one singular thing. I'm saying when you look at this from a psychological, economic, and a total death perspective, you're only measuring on a death. You're not looking at everything else. I think that's harmful. And that connects to bullying in that the draconian measures are like a bully? They're hiding behind a singular thing. A singular this thing. This is what the, the ends justify the means. Like, don't take it. Yeah. Don't, don't take it personally. So I could see your eyes going there. And I did tell you I was going on a soapbox. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I had to make just, the connection so you know. for our listeners. Okay, your turn. Buck needed an intervention. Yay. For the most part, what he needed was a swift knock on the head to shake his overconfidence, overcompensation of authority, and feed him a meal of humble pie. The beginning of that possibility started when a temporary engineer filled in for one of the team members that was out on maternity leave. Here comes Jillian. She comes with impressive credentials. The team was slow to warm to the, her at first, more out of panic at getting the deadline met than a lack of social skills. So Jillian was composed and she had a strong work ethic. She kept mostly to herself. And as the days moved into weeks, she integrated herself into the department flow. She knew how to ask for help and how to give help in a way that invited collaboration. We could go the whole segment on that. Yeah. So we've got a new player here. Her presence seemed to add a level of innovation within the team not seen since Buck took over. Buck couldn't take his mind off of her, and despite her, his efforts, he couldn't seem to earn a nickel of extra attention from the new temporary engineer. She was unfazed by his demands, criticisms, and unsolicited advice, as he did drive-by dumpings to the team's nook in the office. Lacking self-awareness, he doubled down his effort to be the corporate guy and get the job done. Drive-by dumpings are those moments where the boss comes by and just throws out a command. Uninvited, yeah. un unscheduled. And what he was trying to do is because she wasn't kowtowing to his superiority, that's why he couldn't take his mind off of her. We see this a lot. If if you have a, a an employee who isn't towing the line the way you want them to, they could potentially become either a target or they'll be left alone. If in my research, and I, they, I was not allowed to publish this part of the research on emotional intelligence, but I found in that in, dissertation. in ethnic groups. The higher the emotional intelligence, the lower the level of um, bullying. Not in Caucasians, but in ethnic groups. I thought that was interesting. And that was that was called uh, data mining, according mm -hmm. to one of the guys on my committee. And I can understand why, because it wasn't what I was looking for. But, but it, was it was an interesting side. Interesting yeah. side note. I would love to explore yeah. that further. Buck was riding the team hard, trying to hit a deadline for the CEO, and they were feeling the impact of long hours and harsh criticisms being wielded by Buck and his supervisor. Remember, all bullies haven't accomplished. It's the culture, it's the supervisor. The backbiting escalated along with continued unreasonable demands, increased emotional decision-making, and that's one of the myths of society today. When you, base, when you make decisions based on emotions rather than on a combination of intuition and data, and a host of challenging behaviors, and it was pushing the team to a breaking point. 
So after another Saturday of work, the team decided to get together for dinner at a local restaurant and talk about the situation. They remembered the buck before his managerial transformation, and most still had an affinity for their former coworker, at least the coworker version. This new guy was on their social circle radar screen as a bogey. His friendly status was revoked with his ongoing tyrannical behavior, and some of the team members were dusting off their resumes. Remember, people leave supervisors, yep. not jobs. Frustration was the main course for their dinner, and the team as a whole struggled to find a direction. Jillian was a quiet participant, taking in the energy and observing the dynamics of the leaderless group of brilliant young engineers. When she finally spoke up, she recounted the stories about Buck when he was one of them. He was always willing to help, his natural ability to bring the team together, and how he could intuitively figure out most of the challenges with the collective input of other team members. Her heart was pounding as she offered the next question. What if it were possible to get back the old buck, but as your leader and not your manager? Her question gave them a collective pause. They looked at her perplexed. She, she quickly defined the difference. So leaders lead people. Mm -hmm. You are people, you're humans, ideas, families, and a social life. Managers manage things. Now I'm going to say this for the, the managers out there. Leaders lead people, treat them as people, listen to them. They have ideas, be open. Doesn't mean you have to agree, but you listen, you, you're open to that. Managers manage things. Right now, y'all feel like objects is what she said. Things like a punch card or a project. You've lost your identity. When you're the target, you have no identity. You actually get gaslighted. When bullies do that to people, gaslighting, and this is what happens with borderline personality, narcissistic disorders, they gaslight. The, the spouse, the loved ones. Define that term, gaslighting. Gaslighting means they, they influence you in such a way that it takes away your own sanity. You start questioning if you're ever right. You start questioning that you're a mistake in the world. So gaslighting is a psychological brainwashing mm -hmm. of the person's identity is what happens. So when you lose your identity, you don't know what to, to do next. And so you walk on eggshells on a constant basis. So she says... It's time you reclaim your identity. Their imaginations could see the possibility of having the old buck at the helm. But instead of criticizing sarcastic, judgmental energy, one who would rally the team as one of them again, instead of looking down on them from the ivory tower of management. Now, he was a, an informal leader before he was promoted. When he went into the formal leadership, that's when those challenges started yeah. because the culture demanded it. At least he perceived it demanded it. She shared that she was going to be leaving the following week for a permanent job across town and proposed two ideas. The first idea had to do with their approach to Buck. As she spoke, she asked if they would be each willing to try a new approach with Buck for one week. If it didn't work, drop it and go back to their old way. They each agreed. So, this so is she's, where... she's presenting a solution that we're going to unveil here in a bit. Now, I wanted to talk about how she presented it wrap it up and then we'll pick it up in the next segment so notice she didn't tell them what to do she yeah. proposed it that's leadership she, she invited asked, them she asked if they'd be willing to try so here's what's going on this is the buck that you had before here's the connect and redirect here's the buck you guys used to know here's the stories you're telling me they go yeah that's the guy what if that guy notice the what if scenario were your actual leader instead of this Whoever mm -hmm. this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde scenario is turned into. 
I wonder because she came as an outsider, if she was not like the perfect anecdote for being able to put the pieces together. Because sometimes when you're in it for so long, it's so hard to see it. Yeah, I think the inf- the the point that you're making there is because she came out, she wasn't stuck. She could see it. She had more objectivity to looking right. at Buck as a human being and not just as it's this still friend that betrayed them. It's still possible for one of the team to have seen that, but they couldn't because they were stuck in it. I'm just saying it's possible. Right. But I'm just saying like that for all of us to think of situations where if you could think of as an outsider and get more objectivity, then you come with solutions. And that's when you become solution-based and you move to objectivity, you, you mostly eliminate confirmation bias. That's empathy. What's going on with Buck? Mm -hmm. What's going on here? What's going on there? And you start collecting that data and then you become solution oriented because you've then, and what what Jillian did is she connected with the team when she said, so this is what's going on. This is the guy he used to be and this is the guy he's become. Everyone there is now just waiting on her next step because they feel validated. Somebody heard them, which since he got promoted, nobody's heard them. They lost their voice. So when she connected, she's now in a position to redirect. Would you be willing to try one thing? The probability of them saying no was almost non-existent. Well, yeah, because somebody just came at it neutrally. Yeah. Invited them into a very good space. They weren't being judged, and they were willing to try something. And then she said, if it doesn't work, don't do it. All right, so what we're doing is we're setting up the next segment. What is the solution? What happens here and how did Jillian not only bring together the team, but do the intervention with Buck? So one thing we would love, we've spent two segments on building up this workplace situation, which we hear a lot about frustrations for people, um, is that go to hammerinstitute.com. Try this course. There are places in it where you get to reflect and give us comments. We'd like to hear about some of your scenarios and your challenges that you've had that might be similar. And it helps us because we can create material off Mm -hmm. of that and even podcast material. All right, you guys, we'll see you in the next segment. Is that energy bill? Meet Carl. Yeah, what? Carl is on all fours, peering under his couch with a magnifying glass. Who's there? Carl's energy bill has shrunk to the size of a peanut. He took advantage of rebates on energy efficient upgrades from Puget Sound Energy. Wow. How'd you know that? If you're a PSE customer, you can save hundreds, even thousands on energy efficient upgrades at PSE.com slash rebates. There it is. Ah, nope, dust bunny.